First You Think is a not-for-profit ministry of the First Unitarian Church of Des Moines. Support us at ucdsm.org today. So I have determined that what is going on is that anytime I try to touch anything else on my computer, like my text to scroll it up, that's when my Zoom window freezes. So I have sent my sermon to my phone and I'm preaching off of this. And I feel like it's a metaphor for everything that we've been dealing with this last year, 15 months during this time of how we have to be flexible and adaptive and do new things in new ways and turn on a dime in the, in the spur of a moment. And I feel like this is a moment right now in our culture, in our society, in our world, which we have an opportunity to seize the opportunity to do something different and reinvent ourselves, our society, our faith, our institutions like never before. So but let me start by going back a little bit. I don't believe in organized religion, a friend said to me once more than once, many times, many friends. How many of you have heard those words before? I don't believe in organized religion. Now, it's a popular point of view in our society and growing more and more popular all the time. And while I tend to be kind of snarky and said, what, you don't believe in it? I'm sure it exists, even though my own religion's pretty disorganized. Um, I have a more thoughtful response that I'd like to give to that sometimes. About a decade ago, a Pew Research study on the millennial generation said this. They said, by some key measures, Americans aged 18 to 29 are considerably less religious than older Americans. Fewer young adults belong to any particular faith than older people do today. They are also less likely to be affiliated with their parents and grandparents' generations than they were when they were young. Fully one in four members of the millennial generation are unaffiliated with any particular faith. And they go on. The trends they identified a, a decade ago can, have continued. In 2019, um, just kind of before we went into this pandemic time, the Pew Forum stated that their surveys showed that 65% of Americans described themselves as Christian, and that was down 12% over the decade. And those not religiously affiliated had grown in corresponding percentages. The connection between religious affiliation and individualism or independence is shown in Robert Putnam's book from two decades ago, Bowling Alone, in which he says, regular worshipers and people who say that religion is very important to them are much more likely than other people to visit friends, to entertain at home, to attend social club meetings, and to belong to sports groups, professional and academic societies, school service groups, youth groups, service clubs, hobby or garden clubs, literary, art, discussion and study groups, school fraternities and sororities, farm organizations, political clubs, national groups, other miscellaneous groups. Religi religiosity rivals education as a powerful correlate of most forms of civic engagement. So just as religion was on the decline, he argued, these forms of social engagement were also on the decline. But the good news is that right now, at this particular moment, as we come out of a pandemic as a society, I think we in Unitarian Universalism are particularly well poised for change. 
people have experienced an aloneness like they've never experienced before, and they are hungry for community, but for a new kind of community, one that embraces individualism while still valuing the collective. And I think that we as a faith have a particular message in a particular moment right now. In order to seize this moment, I think we have to look at church life entirely differently. And we need to look at the unique aspects of Unitarian Universalism and what we have to offer the world as part of that. But first, let's examine the problem a little more. Within our faith, we embody the tension between individual and community. And that can be one of our most sore spots and one of our greatest strengths. We're a faith based on freedom. We're based on our congregational polity, our non-creedal faith, our fourth principle that says we believe in people's right to seek their own spiritual truth, our fifth principle, which speaks to the role of democracy. We can believe what we want. We can call who we want as minister. We can sell our building if we want. And no larger body is going to tell us what we can and cannot do in the congregational-based faith, right? Ever since the Cambridge platform, when we made the congregation the center of our polity, we've stressed our autonomy as congregations, and then within congregations, our autonomy as individuals. We're not just the no hell church, we're the no guilt church, the no faith church, the do what you want church, right? Or at least sometimes that's how we describe ourselves. This goes back a long way. Our faith is tied to our society through one very influential essay. Um, in 1847, the transcendentalist Unitarian Ralph Waldo Emerson published his famous essay, Self-Reliance. One of the most famous of American essays, it deeply ingrained itself into the American consciousness. It became part of the fabric of our lives. In it, he is really talking about trusting oneself most of all. A favorite quote of mine and of many from that essay is, trust thyself. Every heart vibrates to that iron string. Another favorite quote, particularly among our iconoclastic breed of religious followers is, whosoever must be a man, and I apologize for the gendered language there, but whosoever must be a man must be a nonconformist. Nothing is at last sacred but the integrity of your own mind. Absolve you to yourself and you shall have the suffrage of the world. The dark underside of self-reliance, of independence, of freedom, of our congregational polity is our neglect of community sometimes, our neglect of the common good. And so we must hold those things, independence and interdependence, in creative dynamic tension. Another way of looking at these shifts in society comes from Andrew Solomon's book, Far From the Tree. Solomon talks about horizontal versus vertical identity. Vertical identities are those identity elements that you as a person get from your parents, your race, your ethnicity, usually your language, a lot of our culture. But not every piece of our identity is something we share with our parents. Gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender children are quite often born to heterosexual and cisgendered parents. And this is horizontal identity because we find our identity group among our peers. This is 
if you think about it beyond the personal to the societal, this is growing like the squash plant, as Marge Piercy put it, instead of growing like the tree. We search outside of our family for connections around something that is core and important to us. Now, religion in America, I would argue, used to be largely a vertical identity thing. Part of, and part of this was independence. Churches were isolated, vertical institutions pointed at the sky. And connection-wise, religion was something that you inherited from your parents. We still see some of that vertical identity in some of our churches, families who have been here for generations. But in Unitarian Universalism, we don't see that quite nearly as much as church being a horizontal uh, connection. Along um, growing generationally, vertically like the tree doesn't always work for us as a faith. And so we have to think about how we grow horizontally, like the squash plant, like a chat group, how to grow like a meme. This is what we need to do, have always done to some extent, but need to do more now in this unique, unusual time in which we find ourselves. Horizontal communities are proliferating, but their availability has weakened the perceived need for church to be one of those because most people think of church in this vertical way still. And so we have the rise of the nuns, those who don't attend any church, and that number is growing and growing because it's easier to build that horizontal community in other ways than it used to be. Think about maybe the first time you came to church. Were you looking for community if you came out of another faith and you were looking for a place where you could connect with like-minded people? That's what brought me into, back into Unitarian Universalism after having left it in college and I moved down to Georgia and I didn't know how to find people who believed things like I did, except I knew I could find them at the Unitarian Universalist Church and I went back to my faith. But now if I were to leave leave church and be looking for community, I could find community of like-minded people in all sorts of places via the internet. So this reality is what our former UUA president was talking about in uh, 2012 when he wrote a, a working paper called Congregations and Beyond. He said, congregations as local parishes arose in a different era. They arose in a time of limited mobility and communication. When Unitarianism and Universalism were in their infancy, no one would think of belonging to a congregation 10 miles away. Churches were the centers of community life largely in a largely agricultural society. To be limited to a traditional parish form of organization in the 21st century is like limiting ourselves to a technology that does not require electricity. So if we need to think beyond that early American model of church, what can we look to? Well, the good news is we've been forced into it over this last year. We've been finding it in amazing ways amidst the crisis of necessity. Here, when we talk about change, we get to the squash plant at last. In the environment when churches were struggling to survive, there were things that were thriving. And some of those answers were about our interdependence. 
In Unitarian Universalism, we have this autonomy of the individual congregation, but we are also an association of other congregations, and there's the balance. Sometimes we see ourselves as that little church in the wildwoods, as it were, separate. That's an image my former church in Michigan liked to use a lot, the church in the wildwoods. Separate, distinct, not really connected at all to the larger body. And it was to our detriment because we are not Unitarian Universalists unless we are in association. We cannot be Unitarian Universalists in all that that means alone. We can only be it in association with other congregations as part of a larger body that we know as our living tradition or our faith. The good news, I think, is that we are on the brink of a great new awakening. And I could do a whole sermon about that concept as we look at generational theory, the work of Strauss and Howe in their book, Generations, and in the, um, I think it's the fourth turning where they talk about how cycles of generations come and go and then there becomes a crisis moment and we begin a new society. We did that in the Great New Deal after the recession and I think we're in that moment now after the crisis of the pandemic, after we saw our, the attack on our capital, we're in this moment when we can grow and build the next society that is to come. A few years ago, back at the UUMA, which UU Ministers Association Institute, the Reverend Scott Taylor, who was then the Director of Congregational Life at the UUA, talked about how our future is in realizing that now, with so much at our fingertips, the idea that every church has to be able to do everything, and that ministers are these great generalists who have to be great at everything and do everything for their church themselves, is a model that was uh, breaking down and unsustainable. He said, I would say our calling is ju to just end the ridiculous habits and structures that we have and the culture we have of isolated ministers working in isolated churches. We have a calling to work in partnership. Structurally, you see, we've each been a tree in that forest, each growing, trying to reach the sky, spread our branches, build our steeples to cover as much as we can of our own area. And then when the pandemic hit this year, we realized this does not work anymore. It's not sustainable. And so we built networks fast and furiously. I saw groups grow up on Facebook from 10 to 1,000 overnight of Unitarian Universalists working together to say, how do we survive and thrive in this changing time, in this pandemic? As congregations were shutting their doors, we were going online and ministers and religious educators and laity built networks for resource sharing and cooperation. We started doing things. Have you been visiting other churches at all this year where you've said this week we're going to another church or had mm -hmm. another church come visit you? Uh, In my, no? Yes? Mm -hmm. um, or have you been joining services with other congregations where two of you or three of you as congregations have come together and done a joint service this year? Yes? No? <laughs> Some. In my congregation here in Massachusetts, we've shared worship this year with services in Michigan, Ohio, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and in Mexico. And we can't always do that when the pandemic ends, right? We can't just do, we, we want to be back in our buildings and having live in-person worship again. 
But there are ways we can continue this horizontal connection, this growing like squash plants. And we need to start thinking about how not to be just churches in silos, but working together across clusters and allow our energy to provide, our clergy to provide energy for each of the churches in our squash plant to do what they do best. Those clusters might be regional, but they might be based on things like our size or our passions or our areas of social justice work. I've been saying for years that ministry needs to change. Ministers have always been these great generalists, but we have our strengths and our weaknesses. And I think we need to work in cooperation with each other to achieve an excellence in ways we cannot do alone. So I know from years of working together with your minister that Reverend Amy has these great pieces of knowledge in everything from like internet security to art to how to deal with difficult cats. And I possess an amazing amount of knowledge about 80s culture and dystopia. Now that might not come in handy all the time, but it has come in handy this past year. And together, we can build networks of mutual support and reliability and to shore up each other in our times of need. Amy and I have been doing this for like a decade together or so, where we, we are moderators of a UU Facebook, a Facebook group for UU ministers. And ministers come into this Facebook group, and sometimes it gets a little squirrely in there. But when it's at its best, it's people coming in and saying, I need to know more about this. I didn't learn it in seminary or I've never encountered this before or this is a whole new idea to me. I need to know how to do this. And a dozen other ministers come on and say, yeah, I need to know how to do that too. And then another dozen ministers come on and say, here's what I found worked for me in that situation. And sometimes this is as trivial as finding the best, biggest, brightest flame for your chalice. And sometimes it's as meaningful as saying, how do I talk to my congregation as I'm going through divorce? And sometimes it's like, I want to build a worship associates program. And I've never done that before. We need to think about other ways and ways we can connect our churches for the future to build on on what we've learned in this past year. If we're going to build the church of the future, we need to go outside our trees, outside our silos and steeples and be something interconnected with rabbit runs. Maybe this is more obvious to you out in Iowa than it is to those of us closer to Boston, where we can feel like, oh, we have a, not a lot of other churches right around the corner. And so that community is easier to build. And when you don't have that, sometimes it's more obvious how hard it is to do. But I saw this for sure when I was serving in that rural congregation in middle in the middle of Michigan, an isolated little congregation with our steeple pointed at the sky. We were a church in a silo. One minister, one congregation working lar largely by ourselves. And there were limits to what we could do unless we started connecting out further. So one of the ways we did that on the local level, because we had no other congregation within, no other UU congregation within 45 minutes, we worked with congregational churches and with the synagogue and with the local Muslim group to build interfaith community. We worked with 
uh, we, we didn't have enough people to train to lead OWL in our congregation, the Our Whole Lives Sexuality Curriculum. So instead, we built connections with our local Planned Parenthood and brought them in to do sexuality education. And so by partnering with local groups, we were able to provide much more than we as an isolated congregation could do. And ultimately, that's what will make us sustainable as a faith, to connect wider and wider, to become something more interdependent. We need to spread like that squash plant that overruns the garden, weave real connections, create real nodes, keep tangling in and interweaving and taking in more. So I want to tell this to you in another way through a story. This is a story that I've seen many different versions of, and the one I'm drawing from was attributed to a British minister, C.H. Spurgeon. Here's how it goes. A pastor heard that one of his parishioners was going about announcing to one and all that he would no longer attend church services. This rebellious parishioner was advancing the familiar argument that he could communicate with God just as easily out in the fields with nature as in his setting for worship. One winter evening, the pastor called on the reluctant member of his flock for a friendly, friendly visit, and the two men sat before the fireplace making small talk, but studiously avoiding the issue of church attendance. After a while, the pastor took the tongs from the rack next to the fireplace and pulled out a single coal from the fire. He placed that coal, that glowing ember, on the hearth. And as the two watched in silence, while the fire roared, the coal quickly ceased burning and turned to ashen gray. The other coals in the fire continued to burn brightly. The pastor's silent message was not lost on his member. After a long time, he turned to the pastor and said, I'll be back in church next Sunday. Each of us is that glowing coal, of course. We have heat and light and energy to share, and we can continue for a while on our own, but we will burn out. We need community, I think religious community, to keep that passionate fire alive. But our church is also that coal. It has heat and light and energy to share, but unless it connects to other churches, other organizations, other institutions in a meaningful way, it too will burn out over time. In the book Church 3.0, author Neil Cole says that overall, we have to move from an organization dedicated to protecting what we have, a building, a community, a way of being here, to an organization that is focused outside our four walls, focused on, what's, on changing what's wrong out there. This is what I think people are saying when they say that they're spiritual, but not religious. We can have too much focus on our one individual institution and not enough focus on building the movement for love and justice. The Reverend James Forbes of Riverside Church of New York, which is UCC and American Baptist, said oh, about a decade ago, again at that UU Ministers Association Institute, he said that Unitarian Universalists have already been called by God, or I would add the universe or our broken earth, for a specific purpose. And what we have been called for as a faith, is, has something to do with our excellence in interfaith cooperation and our, which is necessary for overcoming the systems of militarism 
in capitalism and building the beloved community. Michael Piazza, a UCC minister who was formerly at the Cathedral of Hope in Dallas, said this. Uh, he said, we can either give birth to new congregations in our old churches or resign ourselves to being glorified funeral homes. Our best advice is to plant a vegetable patch of liberal, active, passionate adults who might just believe that the church of Jesus Christ can save the world. Yeah, we might use different words, right? Let me re rephrase that in Unitarian Universalism. We can either change and grow like a cabbage patch or resign to being a single dying tree that will one day fall. So the best thing we can do is to plant a vegetable patch of liberal, active, passionate UUs who might just believe that we together have the power to bend the arc of the universe towards justice. That's the ultimate goal, folks, here. We are wanting this faith to succeed and to thrive and to grow and change, not just because of the connection we need as individuals and that we have longed for in this time of isolation, but because we know that together, if we are successful, this faith has the power to change the world, to change the universe. So I say, plant your vegetable patch because Unitarian Universalism can change the world and we will change the world. We are uniquely poised to be the religious community of the future, but we have to take our mission seriously and we have to take interdependence seriously. We have to get beyond our own individual selves sometimes and look for the community and the power of community. There are people out there, and they might say that they are spiritual but not religious, and so they don't know that they're looking for us. But if we build a faith that is truly connected to each other, to other institutions in our community, to the work of love and justice, the people who don't know that they're looking for religion but do know that they're looking for community and do know that they're looking for justice, they will find us. They will find that we are a place that is the place for meaning makers, where they can connect and invest in the future with people and build the world to come. They are out there right now looking for something, looking for something in this after times, after the time of pandemic, after the time of societal disruption to see what is going to come next. And we have the opportunity here in our amazing prophetic faith with our excellence in working with interfaith community. And I would say with our strong history of religious liberalism and individualism and anti-oppression witness and action, and we need to harness these things deepen our spirituality, take our mission out into the world, serve those needs greater than our own, build the beloved community, stand, sit, roll, be on the side of love. What an amazing world this will be if we can truly take up this call from Iowa to Massachusetts and around the world from there. May it be so.